People come to the San Francisco Bay Area for many reasons, a spectacular natural setting, a sophisticated lifestyle, and unique professional opportunities. Those seeking these qualities will find all that and more at Hacienda, where you can work, live, and grow. A Hacienda location means having the best of everything within easy reach. Whether it's world-class restaurants, theaters, and museums, the best learning institutions in the country, or some of the finest services available. That particularly applies to businesses wanting the best address to have easy access to needed resources, being among the industry leaders, and knowing that you are part of a region that leads the world in innovation. The result, an unbeatable combination that leads to success, and that is what you will find at Hacienda. Find out more by visiting Hacienda on the web at hacienda.org. Sooner or later, analytics and artificial intelligence were going to make a splash in the real estate industry. And today's guests, Archer co-founders Thomas Foley and Fred Canny, will tell us how their company is looking to accomplish that. Thomas, who came from the commercial real estate space, met Fred, who worked in gold mining. And the two decided to mine data for their next venture and help identify properties and the right time to buy and sell them. It's a new world out there, and Archer is helping lead the way in this exciting new transformation. Thomas, Fred, good morning. How are you? Morning. Doing well. Thank you. Morning. Morning. Doing great. Where do we find you guys? Where are you? Uh, I'm right now out on the Oregon coast, uh, spending a bit of time out here. Okay, excellent. Thomas, how about you? Yeah, and I'm uh, I'm in Northern California, so a little bit south of San Francisco, right near Stanford. Excellent, excellent. All right. Well, uh, thank you both for joining us. Um, let's chat a little bit about what you guys are up to, and uh, you know, to kind of kick us off, uh, you know, give us a little bit of a you know of an overview of uh, you know your your backgrounds and who you guys are and what your company does. Yeah, sure. So. I'm, I'm Thomas Foley. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Archer. And uh, I'm, I'm here today with uh, my co-founder, Fred Canny, who's our CFO and COO. The first piece is a digital buy box. So we codify an investor's exact strategy and that, get, that gets put into our platform that helps us with matchmaking. The second piece is what we call automated underwriting. And so that helps uh, an investor get from an address to a preliminary underwrite in less than 15 seconds. And then the final piece of technology that we've created is this thing that we call seller propensity scoring. And so that really answers the question is, which is who is most likely to sell next and why? And so the three of those key components lay the foundation of what Archer is able to deliver for our clients. And then we build tools and features and products and offerings all from those core components. And that comes from really a unique combination of, you know, both sort of my own background as a serial fintech entrepreneur, and then more recently as a uh, real estate investment sales broker with HFF and JLL. And, uh, and actually the combination the complementary combination with Fred's background, which I think is you know way more interesting than mine, uh, that I'll let him share. Um, but we met at Wharton 
and got got started on this this uh, company together. Yeah, yeah, and and I guess that that was my sort of follow up question. Tell me a little bit about sort of your you know backgrounds, right? And sort of what what you guys did you know prior to this, because uh, that's always an interesting you know way to understand how how you got to where you got to, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So I'll I'll start um, my my background. Uh, I've been in and around the financial technology space for the last. Uh, really 15 years. And so I've started a number of financial technology companies, each one of them focused on making um, uh, either the investment process around alternative assets more easy or more efficient or more accessible to investors out there. So for instance, my first company was one of those secondary um, uh, trading platforms. So if you wanted to invest in Facebook or Twitter or Tesla before they went public, um, you would come to either our site or one of our competitors. And eventually that company uh, got sold to what became Coinbase Securities. So okay. now people trading crypto are using some of the technology and really the regulatory approvals that we got back in that time period. In 2015, um, I had been working in what was then called the crowdfunding space and real estate was becoming the most popular of the crowdfunding um uh, sectors uh, that a number of these platforms were launching around. And for me, I was fascinated with how real estate worked, but also just how antiquated um, the space was in terms of the, the technology that was supporting it. And knowing that I didn't know really anything about how the space worked, I decided to dive headfirst into um, uh, becoming a broker. I got, I got my start at HFF went from a CEO role to an analyst role there and, you know, basically had to underwrite uh, a ton of deals every week. We were doing pitches for clients and then, you know, worked my way up and, and worked up on the investment sales side for office, helping cover the West Coast. Um, at the tail end of that process, um, started uh, the Wharton Executive MBA program where I was looking for a co-founder. Uh, I knew I needed someone that was way stronger than me on uh, the financial operations strategy side. And that's where I came across Fred, who, yeah. who became my co-founder. Yeah, so uh, Fred Candy, nice to meet everyone. Um, thanks for having us, Vlad. Uh, so my background, a little bit different, uh, but very complimentary with Thomas, like he suggested. Um, prior to Archer, I actually worked for a company called Newmont Mining, which is the world's largest gold mining company. And spent my whole career with Newmont, uh, most recently, I was the acting CFO for North America, uh, and I led business development and uh, uh, business planning for North America as well. Um, but in my career with Newmont, I really got a chance to really step into like a CFO training program uh, where I got to spend 18 to 24 months in any given role, and then the company would move me. And so I spent time in uh, corporate planning, investor relations. I helped found the strategic planning team at our corporate office. Uh, helped revamp how we made major investment decisions. So everything north of sort of a hundred million dollars, uh, whether it was a new mine or or a major uh, like project at an existing mine, I helped revamp how we made those decisions. They shipped me off to Australia where I ran uh, financial planning and analysis (FP&A) and sort of budgeting, forecasting, and investment analysis for Asia Pacific. Before coming back to to the stateside. Uh, where I helped restructure accounting and then I led um, business development and corporate development uh, activities in North America. 
before taking that acting CFO role. So really got a full suite of financial and strategy and, and a lot of heavy operations focus. Um, using that information and, and really that background uh, combined with Thomas, we've been able to kind of parlay those same investment decision-making uh, frameworks and strategic thinking. And how do I, you know, when I think about real estate investing, how do I pick the right location or how do I find the right property or uh, who's likely to be a seller and why would they be selling and what are the operational decisions for why they would sell? So we've been able to take a lot of those same frameworks that I used to use in mining and really start applying it to real estate investing, which has been a, a whirlwind and a roller coaster and a, a lot of fun moving from corporate fi- like corporate uh, Fortune 500 to startup land. Yeah, so let's let's dive into that a little bit because I think um, you know it's it's very interesting how you guys are applying kind of uh, you know some of these analytics tools into an industry that typically uh, and you know Thomas you've been in it longer sounds sounds like your HFF and J- JLL years you know kind of works on a you know not necessarily a gut feel but 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 like a lot of developers and investors sort of you know feel like they know the market really well right they don't necessarily you know rely on you know, data as heavily as some other industries do. And maybe that's changing. But um, I'm curious, you know, how you guys are seeing that evolve in commercial real estate. And then, you know, I think you mentioned multifamily, if I'm not mistaken, but but is, is this sort of your primary sort of target now and then you get to do more stuff later? Uh, where's the thinking there? Yeah, so I'd like to start with the, the first comment or, or one of the comments that you you suggested, which was data in the real estate industry. And one of the biggest surprises to both Fred and I, when we first got started on this. So the, one of the amazing things about being at work is we had access to basically every data library out there. And they had amazing uh, data repositories that we were able to go through and just understand, you know, what even exists, right? If you had uh, your treasure trove of data, being at Wharton gave us access to at least get a taste of that. And and similarly at, at HFF and JLL, they have, you know, the biggest subscriptions that you can get. One of the big problems is that data is not talking to each other, right? So it's, it's uh, disconnected. It's often, you know, raw or out of date. And it's, it's, you know, not, it's not communicating with one another. Um, when I was on the analyst side, and so we had to underwrite, I don't know what it was like, 15 or 20 deals a week as we're as we're pitching new clients or as we're you know getting a deal ready to launch every one of those deals and, and this is me as an analyst but I can't even imagine how it felt on the acquisition side they're getting somewhere between 300 to 400 deals a week and they're trying to parse through all that they're trying to pull all of that information from all these different data sources for each individual deal and and so we looked at that right and and I think Fred, you know, really was the one to be able to say, like, this is just crazy, right? Like the amount of time that folks out there are, we don't want to call it wasting because it's important that they pull that stuff together, but it's not their, like their goal is to do analysis. Their goal is not to like get the information together to do the analysis. And so that's been a big focus for us is to how do we take that type of busy work, that type of collection work, that type of data aggregation work. And how do we pull it together and curate it in a way that it can be actionable really, really quickly? Um, and then the second piece that you mentioned was around, you know, a data company or a technology company versus 
as as something that's competing with uh, with the real estate professionals out there. And I think that there's been actually uh, there's been a lot of damage that some of the previous prop tech companies have done by coming out and they their messaging and their marketing makes them look and feel like the Terminator, right? And they're going to take your jobs. And our whole vision here is um, we think that we can enhance and augment the local professionals that know their markets and that that uh, are already successful at what they do, but we can allow you to spend less time doing all this busy work. Just, just to add one thing to um, those comments, I think uh, I've been struck Vlad, by the like the wide range of different investors, and like as I'm as we're talking with all these different groups, and we've probably interviewed. I don't know, at this stage, probably more than 150 uh, real estate investment firms or pension funds or uh, sponsors, small to large. And the disparity in how people are using data, like there are some groups that are super sophisticated, have their own models, have it all humming, and, and they know exactly like the neighborhood that they want to invest in. And then there are groups that are going, I might know my pocket and I know, you know, Houston really well, but how do I go into San Antonio or how do I go to Dallas um, or how do I expand out of the Midwest and start getting into uh, you know, some of these other markets that I hear are so hot. And so we've been able to kind of experience and help groups that are fully formed and you know, years down their path of using data and, and their sort of digital transformation. And then groups that are, I know it's there and I know it's available, but how do I use it? And so we've been able to really help groups on that whole spectrum, but I've been struck by how wide that gap is across the different investors we've talked to. It's true. It's true. Yeah. And, and I think with, even within a certain market, you will find people that are, you know, that approach it very differently, right? One, one group will sort of do it a certain way. The other will do it a very different way. Um, and then what about, what about the um, industry itself? Like, are, are you guys now primarily targeting multifamily? Is it across the country? Uh, where, where do you see that? Where do you see that sweet spot? Yeah, so today we're gathering information on every property type, uh, anywhere we can get our hands on it. And uh, we're doing that in advance of, you know, being able to ro roll our tools out across various property types. But today, like you said, we're focused on multifamily. Um, we've done some experiments using the information in uh, like industrial and student housing and senior housing and like some of these other areas where our investors and our, our clients have really um, expressed interest in going with us. And we see a lot of potential. We've had some early success in those areas. We see the potential in the data to really help with retail targeting or, or office targeting or hotels. Um, but today, Given the state of our company, you know the fairly early stage of our company, um, COVID and sort of the resilient nature of multifamily and and investors' focus on multifamily being so hot right now, um, we've really focused our tools around let's demonstrate usage, let's demonstrate traction, demonstrate value for our clients, uh, really in multifamily. And as we see that traction take then we'll expand. But we are gathering all that information and kind of doing trials and tests uh, for the right time for us to expand. Has there been a certain deal size for you guys that's uh, more appropriate or kind of better suited for uh, your efforts? Yeah, we've we've actually worked on deals as small as uh, like 1.7 million um, and then all the way up to uh, portfolios the size of like 700 million. Um, a sweet spot for us is probably north of 20 million, that's where the data starts to really get more reliable and predictable. Um, smaller properties are just so nuanced and 
Uh, oftentimes don't use the same systems, may not have the same efficiencies that you have with larger properties. Um, but we have demonstrated success in identifying who's likely to be a seller in some of those smaller ranges, or even you know what are the uh, uh, operating incomes of those properties and what do we think the financials are. But really our focus to date has primarily been north of 20 million um, and really geographic agnostic. We've, we've worked in more than 50 cities. We've done things as small as Youngstown, Ohio, and, and you know, all the way up to the gateway cities. One of the really cool things that we can do, Vlad, with, um, with the digital buy boxes that we're gathering with our different clients and even the synthetic buy boxes is um, uh, what we call a location recommendation tool. Uh, and we actually use this with one of our clients who were highly familiar with the neighborhoods in Houston. And they were looking on about how to expand or looking for help to expand to San Antonio, Austin, and Dallas. And so they asked us to look at, you know, these are the areas that we like in Houston. Can you help us find those same areas in these other cities? And we actually built a tool that we use with all of our clients now that uh, is, think of it like a Netflix recommendation engine. You tell us the areas that you like to invest or have had success investing or where you've invested already, where your existing portfolio is. And we can actually identify looking across more than 250 different markers, what are the most uh, applicable or most important attributes of those areas you like to invest? And then we build a lookalike in every city and every neighborhood across the US to say, well, if you like these areas, these are other areas you might like. So that's one that we've done that's uh, our location recommendation engine that we've had a lot of success with um, clients and and has actually been really a fun project to work on uh, with our clients. The other one is is really a matchmaking system. So think of it like an eHarmony uh, matching, uh, where when we have your digital buy box with an investor, we understand where you want to invest, uh, uh, what types of properties, what are good attributes, what have been successful uh, investments for you in the past. We look at, I don't know, 25 or more different attributes. Uh, and now our system can actually match you up with any deal that comes to market, any off-market deal that we think the seller is likely to sell soon because of our seller propensity, or really just any property, we can tell you, is this a good fit for you or not? And so our algorithm actually works very similar to like a dating algorithm, uh, you know, much more sophisticated than just give me a hundred units in, in uh, you know, Dallas. Um, and so we actually use that matchmaking to give a score on every property that hits the market for our clients, uh, how well this fits their investment strategy, which again gets back to how do I prioritize my time? How do I do more with less? And how do I just not focus on the things that that are a distraction? Um, so we've been rolling that out and testing it with clients and yeah, having a lot of success. Um, what have been some milestones for the for the firm? Um, you know, as you as as any startup, you know, you you kind of have you know certain visions and goals, and then you know things evolve as you kind of get into the thick of things. Um, how has that impacted you guys? You know, even to the level of you know when COVID hit, right? Um, you know how 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 have you navigated through that? Yeah, so we were fortunate to raise our first pre seed right before COVID. Um, so that really set us up to, to roll into COVID and start building our technology and, and exploring uh, with, with different client groups and potential investors where we might head with the technology. I think more recently, some of our biggest milestones, um, as we built the company, we were actually building all of these tools for our own internal use. Um, we wanted to create what we think are, or what we would call city funds, or a way for investors to easily get exposure to 
a Denver multifamily or a Reno industrial, that type of thing. Um, in doing that, we started building this platform, you know, gather the data, build the analytics on top, build the underwriting tooling that we would need to be successful with that model. And as we started talking to various groups about, you know, potentially seeding these city funds, the overwhelming response was, you know, we have funds that we've raised and we want to deploy. Can we just partner with you on your tools? Can we use the technology to deploy our capital? And can you help us do that? And to be honest, we, we resisted it for a bit. We went, you know, let's, we want to raise this capital and we want to build these city funds. And that's still our long-term vision. But beginning of last year's or late Q1, we said, okay, we're, we've had now 70 interviews with different institutional investors. Probably half of those have suggested that they want to use the tech. Let's see where it heads. And so we picked up our first client uh, Q1 last year, kind of three clients by Q2. And then it really took off over the summer when we hired a real estate team and started proactively leaning into this space. Um, we're sitting north of 47 clients today. Uh, that are primarily deal sourcing clients, but we're starting to see more and more, and by deal sourcing clients, I mean, we help them find off-market deals, find and acquire and evaluate and, and uh, bid on uh, off-market deals. Our clients have put out a number of LOIs. We're hoping the first ones will close here shortly. Um, so we're in, in process there. But what we're starting to see is the shift towards the underwriting tooling and we gather a lot of marketed deals that brokers are putting out, and we've started prioritizing that um, using our clients, what we call a digital buy box, which is really, where are you trying to invest? What are you trying to buy? What's a good investment for you? And we build this digital buy box and using that, we can help our clients sift through what's on the market today, or is this a good deal for you? Is this the right location for you? And so we're really using that digital buy box to focus our clients on the highest value marketed deals, underwrite those deals faster and pursue off market deals. And so that's where we see ourselves shifting and going over the next uh, you know, six months is really leaning into those technology tools uh, and really demonstrating usage and, and growth in that space. Oh, Thomas, did I miss, miss something probably in there? The key milestones that we've been tracking really have been, like Fred said, high level you know, new clients that have been joining, the amount of off-market deals that we've been able to share with them, and then ultimately uh, validate that those owners were willing to sell. And so that's been like a, a, a key metric that we track to see if, if the seller propensity is working. Are we getting better at it? Um, one of the things that we learned that we've made adjustments to was we found that the seller propensity actually after looking back six months and, and watching the amount of deals that came to market that we had predicted, the biggest problem that we actually had was um, getting in touch with those owners after getting the sort of pre-approval from the clients. And so a big shift that we've made is creating this platform and the tooling there that actually creates a warm network so that at the point in time that we need to reach out to them, that we already have the relationship. And that's like the dig your well before you're thirsty concept. So we've been trying to, we've been trying to get that going. Um, there's some, there's some partnerships that we're working on, uh, whether it be with brokers, with lenders, with property managers, or with title folks to help us uh, get into those relationships. And uh, the, the early results on those have been quite promising in terms of our ability to get there. We've kicked off an initial referral program. So 
on the referral program side, that's a way that folks that have these types of relationships were able to share in revenues from the platform uh, over the course of basically like three deals or the next couple of years uh, for folks that are able to help grow the network. So we're trying to make this thing um, a very uh, expansive and engaged you know, real estate network, which I don't think we've, we've really seen before. Um, and, and that's what we're really excited about. You asked about COVID and one of the, one of the pieces about, um, COVID that influenced the business was one, it chose us, it, it, it helped us choose multifamily first. So with, with COVID, you know, there was a ton of uncertainty in terms of what was going to happen with the real estate space. Um, you know, which assets were going to perform and which weren't. And it was pretty clear early on. Yeah, th- that was going to test your model, if anything. hundred percent. Right? <laughs> and actually, and actually, one of the things that that Fred built from the beginning was a COVID resiliency. Um, uh, uh, wasn't a score, but it was a performance during COVID, right? Beginning of COVID, you know, sort of post as things started rebounding to help investors understand how resilient a specific building or a specific submarket might be. But multifamily, we saw a bigger shift of uh, allocators' dollars into multifamily, into industrial, out of office, out of retail, out of hotel. And because of that, we just felt like there's going to be more transactions here. There's more that we can help with right now, whereas more people are on pause with some of those other asset classes. So it didn't make us not want to go into those other classes. It just helped us prioritize where we were going. The second piece was really around... um, uh, team building. So before before COVID happened, Archer was actually a remote first company. Fred and I met at Wharton. Uh, Fred was moving to Bend, Oregon. uh, And we had a number of other team members that we were talking to that were across the country. So we knew that we needed to create an environment that was going to support, you know, remote work culture. COVID hit and, you know, things didn't change the next day in terms of, of our work culture outside of, of, you know, trying to figure out how to deal with, with COVID interactions since we have a majority of the, uh, the team all has children under five, right? And so we're dealing with, with childcare pieces, uh, but not necessarily, you know, personnel pieces there. Uh, but it became a huge boon for us for recruiting, especially recruiting real estate folks, because their firms were the last to act in terms of willingness to let people be remote. And so folks were saying, gosh, I'm stuck in this big city like Chicago or Boston or something. I'd love to be able to move to Nashville or to Austin or to Miami or wherever these markets that all the, all the investors are going to. Uh, they wanted to go there too. And our culture and our, our setup allowed for that. So we thought that that was an advantage. Yeah, that, that is yeah, that is very interesting. And I, and I think that will continue to be an advantage for companies like yours that have an open mind in terms of, you know, where, where people are and where, where they're working from. This may be getting a little bit into the weeds. Um, so, you know, please pull me out if I get too deep here. But, um, you know, one of the things that, that I think is interesting about um, what, you know, you guys are doing, um, but I'm curious how it, how it uh, you know, plays out when you have an industry like the multifamily or industrial, for instance, and you know, Thomas, you you, you will know this, but you know, we're, we're on this unbelievable high for these two uh, food groups. Um, 
you know, if if you get in, if you know, if if anybody got in eighteen months ago, you were doing really really well, or twelve months ago, or six months ago, right? How does that impact sort of the analytics aspect of it? And the you know predictability models you guys have, and maybe we can sort of you know dig into that too. But but uh, but I'm curious, you know, does 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 that take take into account these sort of you know uh, maybe once in a generation kind of shifts that that um, in one in way or another we might be experiencing now? Yeah, for sure. So these like times of uncertainty and and turmoil, you know, throw most models into array. I would say. Um, Two, two areas that we've really focused on predictability. And I think part of why we've seen success in these in these two areas, um, one being uh, seller propensity. So predicting who's likely to be a seller uh, soon. And then the second being the financial performance and therefore the valuation of properties. Um, two notoriously difficult areas to predict and, and a lot of people have tried. Um, but I think what sets us apart is we've really grounded both of those in kind of more the operational side. And, and maybe it's just like a bit of my bent, uh, a bit of Thomas's bent, and then our, our real estate team who've really influenced it. Um, but we've looked at when it comes to, you know, who's likely to be a seller. So some groups will look at, you know, hotness of the market and how quickly are things turning over and what have pricing done, that that type of thing. We tend to look for what are the reasons why people are selling? Uh, what makes them decide to sell? What's their decision-making framework that they're using? You know, what have we used in our own experience? What have we seen other people use? And what do our clients use to make that selling decision? And then how does that show up in the data? And so we use the data to identify the markers that respond to or correlate with those decisions. And then that's what we're trying to predict is, well, the data is suggesting that they're preparing for sale or that this is likely to be a sale candidate because they're making changes in where they're investing or they're, they're moving to new areas of the country or they're shifting their exposure to office and out of multifamily. So we can see that in the data and we really ground a lot of our seller propensity in that sort of operational decision-making um, as opposed to the market suggests that somebody in this market might be a seller soon you know, we try to make it very specific to the owner. We've done reporting where, um, you know, whether it's a, you know, pension fund or an institutional investor has, you know, come in and actually stated their goals, right? They're they're sort of saying, you know, we're going to invest, I don't know, you know, 100 million or 300 million um, into, into this space. And, you know, our, you know, stated returns are X, right? Uh, 20%, 15%, whatever, right? Sometimes that can be achieved within a year uh, or even shorter, <laughs> right? As as we've seen in this sort of um, you know unusual market now, uh, is that something also that you guys are you know able to you know track to or sort of understand? Kind of you know, as Thomas, as, as you probably know, the local operator may not necessarily disclose who the you know equity partner is, right? On on certain deals, right? So you may not know what those business plans might be, uh, but I'm curious, you know, how how does that play into the analysis? Also, yeah, for sure. So we we look at um, when really with let me step back for with all of our clients, um, we start our relationship with our client based on their digital buy box and what we call this digital buy box, and it's a lot of the things you're describing. Where do I want to invest? What types of themes do I think are going to play out? So what does that mean for demographic movements or the types of areas that I want to target, areas with good schools or, or certain education? 
Um, so we start and we build this digital buy box. So that's all of our clients that we know that we work with on a regular basis, and they help keep us up to date on where are they trying to invest. And that really helps us, you know, source off market deals, right? If we're going to find deals that fit their criteria, we need to understand the criteria. Um, and we, we further refine that by sharing the marketed deals. And as they kick things out or, or, uh, go after properties we didn't think they would like, we kind of refine that profile. So that really helps us keep tabs on and and help uh, empower our own clients uh, by really understanding where they're trying to invest. And it it also gives us information about, you know, are they a likely seller down the road? And um, is there anything in their portfolio they might be interested in selling? And so, you know, we're creating these sort of warm relationships that Thomas talked about earlier. In the data, we've also built up synthetic profiles for institutions that we don't have a relationship with. And uh, I think we're probably north of 40,000 uh, groups that we track on a regular basis that we look okay. at yeah. buying and selling behavior, uh, size of the properties, where they're investing, are they shifting exposure to different property types? And we've built what we call these synthetic profiles. And it's very similar to a buy box. It's, it's just a synthetic buy box. And we've actually found that using that synthetic buy box, when we call a group and say, we'd like to work with you, or we'd like to, you know, put in a bid on one of your properties, because we see you're reducing exposure to this market and you're buying these types of properties. And this one looks like it doesn't fit anymore. Can we make a bid? We've actually turned a lot of those cold calls into clients um, because people are pretty blown away by, by what you can find and see in the data and just how we've organized it and how we use it. I think for us, everything's grounded in that buy box. Uh, and that digital profile and, you know, how do we use that to help our investors make better decisions, prioritize their time better, um, evaluate the right properties, don't waste their time on the ones that are wrong, and then actually help us bring more clients into the network, uh, you know, to the benefit of really everybody in the network um, by helping them focus on on where they're investing. Um, in terms of kind of what you guys are, you know, focused on for the next, you know, 18, 24 months, um, are there any milestones you guys are looking to hit, whether it's, you know, fundraising milestones in terms of maybe get, you know, hitting a certain client level, um, where, where are you, where are you in that thinking? Yeah, the, the, the number one priority right now is all around client growth and client success. And it, it comes down to focusing on our core of these software tools, particularly uh, really making sure that automated underwriting is a success for our clients. So we're, we've been rolling that out um, across uh, a limited set of clients recently, and we'll be rolling it out to uh, a majority of the clients over the next month or so. Uh, we also signed uh, our first uh, brokerage firm that we should be able to announce in the next couple of weeks. Okay. And so that's really exciting. We're going to be rolling out across their top multifamily brokers across the country. Um, and then the hope is to roll out across uh, all, all of their multi-brokers. But again, the, uh, the thought here around underwriting is, is quite simple. It takes a typical analyst somewhere between four to 12 hours to pull together all that information so that they can get to actually some version of like a preliminary or baseline underwrite. With our tool, it takes you entering the address and 15 seconds later that is fully populated with all of the key information that you need that gets you, you know, hopefully somewhere around 90 to 95% of the way there. You know, the analyst then spends the next, right. The local expert spends the next uh, one to five minutes sort of 
throwing out some comps that they might not think are as relevant with their local knowledge or maybe adjusting some rent growth information. But this is pulling in from over 40 different data sources, uh, as well as over over 100,000 uh, financial statements and rent rolls and other pieces that we're pulling in and we're putting at your fingertips. So we think that that's a huge advantage. And once we have automated underwriting, there's other solutions that we're building into the platform around matching you with marketed deals. So with your digital buy box, um, can we help you parse down the from the 380 deals that get launched every week from the big, you know, six or seven brokerage firms? Can we help you parse that down to the, you know, three to five to ten that even matter for you to be spending your time on? So much time is wasted going through that type of stuff. Right. So Thomas, you guys are like a you know analyst monster. I mean, you're killing the analysts at these firms. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, we're we're you we're, you were one of these Clark. people. I would think you would have some compassion towards towards what they're what they're doing. It's all compassion and empathy. We're trying to 10x analysts. So effectively, mm-hmm. what what we've seen is, um, you know, analysts have a brutal job. Right. They have all of the pressure in the world to get all this information right. They have to get it done. And the beginning of next week is teaser Tuesday again, right? And so it just starts over and over and over again. So we have the most empathy in the world for the analysts and the acquisitions team. We want them to be super successful. Ultimately, we want them to be able to do 10x more than they previously were doing. So if you could evaluate maybe three or five deals a week, now you can evaluate 50 or 100 deals a week. So we think that that's the huge value add, at least with the acquisition suite of tools that we're building. Uh, and then over time, where we're looking to go is there's tooling on the disposition side. So Archer can create uh, what we call a sort of AOV or Archer opinion of value, similar you know framework of like a Zestimate. So using this automated underwriting tool set, um, you as a asset manager or portfolio manager or someone on your team, you can be mapping and tracking your entire portfolio live time understanding as new comps and new trades come in, uh, you have all of your addresses in there and you can have those discussions, those disposition discussions as a team um, more frequently with more confidence as as there's more data at your fingertips. And then the final piece of that is, is because we have this robust network of interested buyers that are looking for deals and we have their digital buy boxes, we can help connect those buyers to the folks that are interested in selling, right? To pull in offers in just a much more uh, cohesive and easy way. And so we're, we're really trying to build that out for acquisitions, dis- dispositions, and uh, brokerage teams to help them all be more successful there. Yeah. One of the things that I've noticed in kind of the prop tech industry is that ultimately, you know, whether, you know, services or tools or, you know, companies like yours somehow end up getting gobbled up by either JLL, CBRE, or, you know, one of one of the big sort of bro- brokerage firms, there there hasn't been kind of like one standalone technology firm in the commercial real estate space that has, you know, maintained itself on its on its own, if you will. And maybe this is sort of too early for you guys to even think about, but is is that something that you guys are thinking about? Like, you know, how do we you know, survive or do we end up, you know, being, uh, you know, rolled into one of these organizations? I mean, I guess anything's for sale. So I guess if the, if the price is right, it doesn't matter. Um, but I'm curious just kind of, you know, from, from your perspective, um, what, what you guys feel is, is kind of a, you know, you know, the next move for you guys, you know, down, down the road. Yeah. The, 
the opportunity in this space is is pretty tremendous to be able to create a standalone business. And you know, not to say that being acquired by a strategic like on the brokerage side, like let's say the Skyline uh, to JLL acquisition that just happened, or you know, a lot of the the sort of like PE backed big software companies that just sort of roll up a number of the other companies within the space. Um, that's definitely an, an avenue. Uh, that said, you know, there is absolutely room and there is absolutely, uh, you know, like with, with, with what they say, TAM, right? The total addressable market in the space to build a large enough, uh, sizable enough company that could stand on its own. And just with the tooling for acquisition tooling and disposition tooling, but that's sort of act one. The nice thing about this business model that we're so excited about, Fred alluded to earlier, is if you can get that going, that allows you all this optionality to help build uh, tooling to help connect GPs and LPs, uh, tooling to help um, do better matchmaking, uh, uh, you know, sort of white label city funds to make it easier for investors to access real estate in a way that they haven't before. And so there's all these other different directions, but once you get your foundation right, then you have the opportunity to look forward. So right now we're just, we're, we're heads down, really focused on making sure that we can land uh, the software solutions, make sure that our clients can be successful because if we can make them successful, then we feel like there's that virtuous cycle that we can go from. Thomas and Fred, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Tell me uh, where can people find more about you? Um, uh, those you know in the industry who are looking to partner with uh, with a firm like like yours. Yeah, please come to our website uh, re. and uh, if if you want to send us an email, I'm Thomas Foley at archer.re. And Fred is fred.canny, C-A-N-N-E-Y, at archer.re. Thank you, Vlad. Yeah, Vlad. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. Stories like these help us shape our understanding of the industry. And we appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. Please follow us on any app where you get your podcasts and tell your colleagues about us. Thank you in helping us spread the word about our work and the industry that is changing the face of business.